City Hope. Everybody good? You sound a little sluggish. Anybody not get your coffee? Okay, don't run out and get it right now. Just wait. Okay. Well, it's great to see you. Thanks for being with us. I want to welcome the campuses, Mobile, Foley, Baymanette, and the guys at Holman. Thanks for being part of our weekend experience. Uh, we are in the fourth part of a series, Yours for the Taking. And uh, if you want to track with me, I'll be in Joshua 5, and then there's one scripture I want you to see in Galatians 2, but then we'll touch a lot of other scriptures. So let me kind of review. We're talking about uh, going into the promised land, our promises that God has given us because we're his children, we're adopted in his family, and he has, we have a covenant relationship with him, so he has promises for us. So my question is, without reviewing anymore, is how many of you are ready to go into your promised land? All right, wait, that, let's, let's do better than that. that. Let's don't even raise our hand. Let's just say yes. How many of you are ready to go into your promised land? Yes. Okay, that's better. I like that better than the hands. <clears throat> that way I can't tell how many are saying it or not. Anyway, well, <clears throat> let me start here. I think God has a sense of humor. So Israel has wandered in the wilderness 40 years. They're under new leadership, Joshua, ready to take the promised land. They have changed their way of thinking to we're able. We're able to take our inheritance. Joshua then takes the priests, the Ark of the Covenant's on their shoulder. They step into the Jordan at the raging flood time. God stands up the flood. They walk through, and the flood is behind them, and Jericho is in front of them. And then God says, hey, guys, just a minute. I've been meaning to talk to you about something actually for 40 years, but since you didn't have the right mindset, you had an old mindset, you're not able, but now you're able to take it. I, I, I want to talk to you because I'm, I'm hoping you'll listen to me now and you'll obey. Here's what he said in Joshua 5, verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites. Yeah, we're going to talk about circumcision. <laughs> if you have children, get ready for questions when you go home if they're in here, okay? Uh, yeah, one lady, she brought her child for the first time into the adult service, and she said, why did I do that? So anyway, uh, here's what God's saying. It's surgery time. And, and, and don't, don't go call the doctor and don't try this at home because I don't think this is what God's speaking about to us in this passage. God has them between the Jordan and the Jericho. Their faith level is up. They're ready to take the promised land. Now they're forced to make a decision that will determine whether or not they're going to move with the commander-in-chief and take what's theirs. This message is a pivotal message. The first message in the series was foundational. This is a pivotal message. I have two more in this series, 
and the two, the, the remaining two are, are just phenomenal. Okay, but this is a pivotal message, and I want you to understand that as I get into this because there's a decision we have to make. There's a decision you have to make. God will not make you make this decision. So let's look at what happened. They're wandering in the wilderness 40 years of unbelief, and while they're in the wilderness because of unbelief, none of the children born in the wilderness are circumcised. And the Hebrew people, they perform circumcision on infants on the eighth day after their birth. Uh, when they wandered in the wilderness, they didn't practice it anymore. So you have a generation born in the wilderness that had to be circumcised before the men could go into war and fight the ites, all the ites in the, in the Canaan land. So God requires this of men when you're coming uh, and, and deciding to count on God uh, to take your promised land, you're going to fight obstacles, you're going to fight giants, and you want to be sure you are obedient in every detail. So basically, all the men, now there's a couple million people, all the men under 40 had to take the mark before they attempted to take the promised land. And I'd almost be safe that Joshua and Caleb are the only two guys exempt for this because they've already been circumcised. So the majority of men, they couldn't go into battle unless they, they, they had the promise of the covenant upon their bodies. So two things about this. First, notice that this is the worst possible time to take the mark because it places them in a vulnerable position. Because now all the men are on the injured list. They're out of action. And this isn't something you just take to Advil and you'll feel better in the morning. This is a three-day recovery, and, 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 and the part for us to, to understand is this really happened. This really happened in the natural. So now, before facing the walls or seeing what's behind the walls, first they have to face the giant of vulnerability because they had absolutely no ability to mount their own defense. If the commander-in-chief doesn't protect them while they're incapacitated, they are defeated. And the second thing to notice about this circumcision is the ideal of circumcision was more than a physical issue, it was to be a spiritual one. See, not only were their sexual organs to be circumcised, but their hearts were to be circumcised too. Joshua, uh, Jeremiah said in chapter 4, verse 4, circumcise yourself to the Lord, circumcise your heart. So this wasn't just an external sign, it was to be inside their hearts as well. Every Jewish male was circumcised physically, but if the man didn't, it wasn't circumcised in the heart, it was only a religious observance. So taking the mark in the heart affects your thinking. We talked about thinking last week. It affects your vision, what you see, can you see in the spiritual? It affects your speaking, what you're speaking and believing. It affects your walking, where you're going. So the heart is not only central to our sexual behaviors, it's critical to walking in faith because it's all about the heart. God said in Deuteronomy 6, 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. In the Bible, the heart doesn't represent the heart in your chest, but it's the essence of everything you are. The, the heart encompasses your mind, your will, and your emotions. So today, we don't think much about circumcision. We, we, don't, we don't think it's that important. So let's see how serious it is and why it is so important to us. And, and the ladies are thinking, well, it's not a big deal to me. But just wait, I'll get there, okay? So, let's go back to Moses. Moses was called to deliver God's people from Egypt, from slavery. Moses had a Hebrew mother, and she should have circumcised him on the eighth day. But remember, Pharaoh put in the order to, to kill all the baby boys, told the midwives, baby boys are born, you're going to kill them. So Moses' mother places him right after birth in a basket, puts it in the river. And you know the story, Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby, and then she 
God set it up where Moses' mother would be the nursing mother, but she never circumcised him. So Moses lives 40 years in Pharaoh's house, and then he becomes angry one day when he sees an Egyptian beating a Jewish man, and he kills the Egyptian. He runs for his life. He runs into the wilderness for 40 years. There he finds his wife, and he has a family. There he finds a burning bush experience where God says, I want you to go back to Egypt. 40 years later, I want you to go back, and I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And here's what Moses said to God. Who who are you? Which, which God are you? Because remember, he's raised in Pharaoh's house, and they had all of these gods. He had no understanding, so God had to show him some signs. That, that's why he did the, the whole staff and the snake and, and all these signs, because God had to convince him to go tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh to let his people go. So here's what Moses did. Okay, I'm going. He tells his father-in-law, hey, I'm taking your daughter, my wife, and our two sons, and we're going to go back to Egypt. On the way, he stops for lodging, and here's what the Bible says in Exodus 4.24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. How would you like to have that encounter? God is going to kill you. And it seems a little weird because Moses is going to do what God's told him to do, but God meets him on the way and tries to kill him. Why? I mean, is God just having a bad day? Is he just tired of this guy? What's the deal? No, it's because of circumcision. Because Moses and his two sons were not circumcised. But his wife, Zipporah, stepped in and did what all good wives do. She saved his life. Right, ladies? How many times have you saved your husband's life? Yeah. So why did God want Moses and his sons circumcised before they went to Egypt? Because God was going to send the judgment on the uncircumcised Egyptians. That's how serious circumcision was to God in relation to the covenant he had with his people. Now, go back to our topic in our text in Joshua where he's going to take the promised land, his men, you know, before they can conquer the city, they're going to have to be circumcised. Why? They're wilderness babies. Their parents died in the wilderness, but their parents didn't care enough about inheriting a blessing that was theirs that they didn't even circumcise their children. So now here are the people. They're stuck between the Jordan and the Jericho. They bring out the sharp instruments. Now, it's one thing for a baby eight days old to be circumcised because they probably can't remember, but a man from 20 to 40 years old, well, that's another story. And it took three days to recover. Now they're facing the giant of vulnerability. We're outside this massive wall with all of these, this enemy. And guess what? It was during this time that the commander-in-chief shows up to Joshua and gives him the battle plan. God couldn't give him the plan on how it was going to happen, the walls to come down, until the circumcision. Because if you take a group of men into Jericho uncircumcised, they would not have been under the covenant of God, and that means God could not control or could not guarantee the victory. You can do a lot of things on your own, but unless you're in covenant with God, you can't, the victory can't be guaranteed. So, and, and here's how serious it is. Because this has been going on for 40 years or more. If they'd been defeated, no more Joshua, no more Caleb, no more people, no promised land, no blessing. So God says to Joshua, these young men born between Egypt and, 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 and the promised land, they must be circumcised. Here's what Egypt represents. Egypt represents coming out of your flesh. They're in slavery. They're in bondage. Egypt represents coming out of your flesh. The promised land represents the fulfillment of the promise and the blessings that God has because we're in covenant. So after they obeyed, God said in Joshua 5, 9, the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Now what does that mean? 
the, the reproach of Egypt is rolled away. I mean, their parents came out of Egyptian slavery, but these guys were all born in the wilderness, wilderness babies, but the reproach had to be rolled away. Well, why? Because look at what they saw in the wilderness. In the wilderness, they saw the manna falling. They, they saw the quail. They saw the water from a rock. A rock followed them around everywhere they went, and the water was there. From the bitter water being made sweet, the cloud by day, a fire by night, the glory of God on Moses and God's thundering voice. And they're saying, what, what, what do you mean a reproach? We've been living in the miraculous. The miraculous doesn't mean we're free from reproach. God said to these people, you've got a reproach and you've got to deal with it or you can't go into the promised land because the promised land is not about the miraculous. I believe God wants to move people from the sensational into the maturity. Maturity includes power. Maturity includes miracles. But maturity centers on the nature and the character of Jesus Christ. So take the sharp knives, get cutting, and we will not come into the promise unless we get the flesh cut away. Well, where is this found? Genesis 17, 14. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people, and, and he has broken my covenant. Well, what is circumcision? Well, in the natural, circumcision is the surgical removal of the foreskin of the male sexual organ. Well, what about, what about the, in the spiritual? Well, in Galatians 2, it's a very important verse, verse 11 and 12, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by hands, your whole self, notice the phrase, whole self, ruled by the flesh was put off when you were crucified by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. If you are a believer in Christ, you are to be dead to self. If you're not dead to self, then you do not and cannot experience the full life of Christ. See, dead people have no rights. Only the circumcised in Christ will go into the promised land. If not, you continue to wander in the, wonder of the wilderness of life. If you want the promises God has for your life, if you want the fullness of life, then you have to cut away the flesh. You have to crucify the self. Here's the problem. Our hearts come alive to the Lord. We get saved, we're alive in Christ. But our flesh grows around the heart. Well, what does that do? It chokes out the life that God has. A, a, a heart is often flesh-bound, flesh-concerned. Decisions are made by the flesh. And, and listen, when that's happening, you're not growing and maturing, you, 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 but you're dying on the inside. It's like a spiritual heart attack. There's no life inside. Deuteronomy 10, 16, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and don't be stiff-necked. Don't be stiff-necked. And, and, and one of the reasons this is not a popular message is because there's so many people that are stiff-necked, and that's referring to a, an ox, <laughs> not a sheep, but an ox, and, and the ox that will not be broken. So an ox that's not broken has to wear a yoke, and it's not the yoke of Christ, it's, it's the hard yoke. And this, this is an ox that will not plow. This is an ox that will not serve the Lord with all their heart. This is an ox that will not worship the Lord and put him first in their lives. So here's what he's saying. You need to come into your spiritual gifting and being a functioning member of the body of Christ. I said to you on Vision Sunday, I said, I felt like our church, we're camped between the Jordan and the Jericho, that we are ready to go into the promise and the destiny, that it's yours for the taking. But today, this is a pivotal message because you have to make up your mind to cut away the flesh. I, I can't do that for you. 
You have to decide, I'm going to cut away the flesh. And, and, and that's the only way to defeat the enemy in your promised land. You've got to cut away the flesh. So here's what I'm going to do in this message. I'm going to give you four stories. Because I want you to see the nature of the flesh. I want you to see it in the Old Testament, how it, how it just keeps going and going and going. I want you to follow this. So here's the first story. It's a story of one who satisfied the flesh at the expense of spiritual inheritance. One who gave up spiritual inheritance to satisfy the flesh. We know the story of Isaac going to bless his oldest son Esau with the blessings of the father. And we know that Jacob tricked his father into blessing him. And, and, and then Esau, when he found out, I mean, he's mad. And he says, this is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now my blessing. Esau represents the man of flesh all through Scripture. So let's, let's talk about his descendants because he, he, it's married, he has children, and they have children. So in Genesis 36, 12, Esau's son, Eliphaz, also had a concubine named Timah who bore him Amalek. So here's a son, here's a grandson. Well, how do the ancestors come in? How, how, how does the son of flesh, how does his ancestors come in? Exodus 17, 18. This is when Moses is leading the children of, of Israel. And the Am Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. This is Moses' first attempt to get into the promised land. Joshua's there. He sends Joshua down in the valley to fight these guys. And who makes up the Amalekites? Esau, Eliphaz, Amalek. They represent the giant of flesh satisfaction. The flesh is to be satisfied and forget the, the spiritual birthright. Forget the spiritual inheritance. My flesh satisfaction is more important than that. So here's what happens. As soon as Moses starts to advance to take the promise, the Amalekites show up. Listen, here's the pivot on this, the pivotal message. As soon as you make up your mind, we talked about the mind last week, changing, dropping that stronghold. Once you make up your mind to go for your promises, the enemy, Amalek, your flesh, is going to rise up. It's one thing to get all pumped up. Yeah, I want the promised land. Yeah, we're ready to go in. Yeah, we're going to take it. We're going to, God's going to do this and this, and that's true. But your flesh is going to rise up, so we have to deal with the flesh or we never come into the promises. In other words, we have to stand up and fight the flesh. You've got to take charge of your life. You've got to let the spiritual man rise up. And just FYI, do you know when you're not content in the things of God, it's because of your flesh? It's not because of the church. It's not because of a sermon. It's, not, it's because of your flesh. So, back to the story. Joshua's fighting the Amalekites. Moses is on top of the mountain. His arms get tired. He's holding up the staff of authority so he can win. He gets tired, and so here comes Aaron and Hur. And, and, and they come in, and, and, and they put him on, sitting down on a rock. They hold up his arms. As long as his hands and arms are up, they're winning. The Amalekites are losing. His hands remain steady until sunset. Joshua overcame the Amalekites with a sword. What does this represent? This represents the discipline of defeating giants. When we discipline, his arms will lift it up into heaven. Here's what that represents. The discipline of praying and worshiping God. When we pray and we worship God, we win over the flesh. It also represents, watch, the unity of the pastor who's leading and the priest and the kings, the soldiers. Aaron was the priest's side and Ur was the soldier or, or the king's side. They, they are in unity keeping the flesh controlled why the flesh gets weary the flesh gets tired i can't hold my hands up i'm tired so what's happening there's such unity together that they're able to take and hold up the vision that god has given moses so they can defeat the amalekites 
When it's over, Moses builds an altar, and he called it Jehovah Nisi, which is the Lord is my banner. Why? Because the hands were lifted to the throne of God, and the Lord, he, he will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. It's never going to stop. The flesh is there. The flesh is inside of us. So the spirit of the Amalekites, yeah, it's here, but to follow the flesh instead of your spiritual inheritance is, is insanity. You, you have to utterly destroy the flesh. And here's the danger side. You know, we can sing a song, we can teach a message, we can preach, we can lead a fusion group, we can tithe, we can do all those things. But, but, do, but you, have to have the, you have to let the flesh die. Because you can do those things with the flesh still ruling and reigning. You have to. Our greatest giant is in the flesh, and unless we do surgery on it, it will keep us out of the promised land. See, we, we have victory over the demons and the devils. Our biggest problem is with the flesh rising up. We lose more battles in advancing because of our flesh. We want to focus on, watch, the miraculous and the devils and the demons, and they're there and there, and we have power over them. But that's not what God's saying. He's saying, I want you to discipline yourself and grow and mature and keep your flesh out of the way so that you can walk into what I have promised you and you can advance. Deuteronomy 25, 17, he comes back to them and he says to the people, remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt? And in verse 19, when the Lord your God gives you the rest from all the enemies, when he gives you a time to rest and recoup, the enemies around you in the land he's giving you to possess as an inheritance, you shall blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget. The biggest thing keeping us from entering the promises of what God has is our flesh. So that's the first story. Now let me show you another story. This is a story of a man after man's own heart. This is a story about a man after man's own flesh. Years after Joshua's story, Israel is in the land, and, and Saul is the king of Israel, and Samuel is the prophet. Samuel hears from the prophet, go tell the king that we need to destroy the Amalekites. They're set up over here. This is the flat. We've got to deal with this. So you can read it in 1 Samuel 15. I'll just summarize it. So Samuel, the man of God, told, go utterly destroy, take the armies, go utterly destroy the Amalekites, even their king. So Saul, what does he do? He goes in, destroys the Amalekite, but he spares the king. The king's name is Agag. And he spared all the best of the animals. And so Samuel confronts him. Why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Listen to him. This sounds like a, a modern-day Christian. He said, oh, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. I, I did. I, I obeyed the voice of the Lord, and, and, and I went on the mission, and I destroyed the Amalekites, but I brought the king back. The king's an Amalekite. Wait, wait. And, oh, and the, all those animals, well, the people that were with me, they just plundered those. They brought them back to sacrifice the Lord. Now he blames it on the people. Here's Samuel's response from the Lord, verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 22. Then Samuel replied to the king, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, witchcraft, and arrogance is like the evil of idolatry, because you've rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you as king. You're not going to rule as a king anymore, and you're, you're not going to take this country and rule and reign in it. And, 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 and here, here's the subtitle of this message. It's the giant of half-hearted obedience. And what this story tells me, even today, is that we are comfortable with the giant of half-hearted obedience. We've just become comfortable. Well, I did obey. Well, I did do. I did. But, but, but no, you didn't. So let me tell you the rest of that story, the third story. The rest of the story is to destroy the flesh or to destroy you. 
So Saul spared Amalek the king. Time goes on. Saul is fighting with his two sons in a war. His sons have died. They're being defeated, and he wants his life to go away, but he's, you know, he, he's not going to do it. And so he grabs this guy and has this guy run the sword through him, and guess what this guy is? He's an Amalekite. If he had destroyed them, but no. Here, here's what I'm saying. You take out the flesh, or the flesh will take you out. You will not come into your promise till you deal with the flesh. Our biggest problem is not the devil, it's your flesh. In other words, when they get circumcised, they can take Jericho and the promised land. Why? Because now they're entering into a new relationship. Listen, when you get rid of the flesh and what the flesh wants, you enter into a new relationship. Deuteronomy 30 and 6, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your hearts and with all your soul and live. Today, circumcision in the new covenant is the circumcision of the heart. So here's Joshua. He met the commander-in-chief. He realizes he's in the presence of Jesus, and, and, he, and he bows down, not a knee, but both knees. And it, because he's realizing, watch what he's doing, he's realizing he's the commander-in-chief and I'm not. He's the king and I'm not. And, and, and he's not, I, I'm not on the throne of self. He's on the throne of self. He's the commander-in-chief. Then Joshua receives the instructions to take off the sandals, you're on holy ground. In, in, in other words, you're in the presence of the commander-in-chief, the Lord of the armies, and he's already there. He's been waiting on you to get here. He's there, and he already has the victory plan for you if you will obey him. The key to the obedience is I've got to get my flesh out of the way. I've got to get my flesh. I, I've got to cut it away. Because, watch, obedience produces favor. Obedience produces anointing. Saul, uh, Joshua is now going to lead as an anointed warrior. Why? Because he has obeyed, because he has worshiped. He's taken self out of the way. And remember, he's seen everything. He's been there for 40-something years. He had a slave mentality. He's watched all this transgress, but he has a place in his heart to say, oh, no, 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 he's king, he's Lord, not me. I don't have a better ideal. I'm not all of that. I, I can't do this. He bows before him, and then that produces favor and anointing on his life so he can go in and take the land. Here's the last story. Now, now stay with me, because this is a little different story, but I'm going to tie it back, okay? So watch. The last story is about changing self the king's way. If I just left you with cutting away the flesh, you, 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 won't, you won't stay there. The, 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 you, you, I don't know if you know this, but you can't live without the flesh. You got that, right? I know it's deep. You, you really cannot live without this flesh. So just cutting it away, that, 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 that's the process, but... Well, what has to happen? Well, I need the king to change my whole self, Galatians 2.11. I need him to change my whole self. So let me go to a story, and let me show you how I see that. And watch who we see in the story. Israel's in captivity. They're in the land. They get in the captivity. They're in Persia. A man named Haman rises up. He goes, tells King Ahasuerus, hey, our problem in our land are all these Jews. We need to eliminate them. You remember the story. Mordecai comes to Esther and speaks, for such a time as this, you, 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 need, to run, you need to become the queen, you need to go in front of the, of the king, you need to have the favor, and, and, and you need to speak out for the Jews. So in Esther 3, it says that King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agite. Agite. King Agag that Saul didn't kill. 
There's the descendant of him. He represents the flesh. He hates God's people. The flesh hates God's people. So understand, Esther is just this peasant girl from the farm, worked in the farm, the dirt, the natural flesh. It's just natural. But she decides to enter the pageant because Mordecai, type of the Holy Spirit, encourages her to, to do it to be the new queen. In the, year, in the year of training and discipline, she learns how to walk and talk and dress the protocols of the king. But part of the process included six months of special baths. Different baths every day. In these daily baths, Esther was not only just soaking in soap and water, but she was also soaking in the king's oil. Because they needed to smell like the king's oil and not the natural scents. You, you don't need to go in, you, you, you can't get into the presence of the king if you smell like flesh. So remember, I need my whole self to change. I need to get rid of the flesh, but I need my whole self to change. So let's look at the mixture in the natural of the king's oil. The king's oil had myrrh. Myrrh was bitter to the taste, but sweet to the smell. It was called a sweet spice. Bitter to taste, sweet to smell. And then another ingredient in the oil was cinnamon. It came from a plant's bark. If you would smell it, it was offensive. And it'd make you kind of stand up, and it meant to stand up. And then there's calamus, which is a sweet cane grown in the marshlands in the miry clay, and it looked like a reed that had a channel that represented like a conduit. And then there's cassia, the, the, the shrub that had a purple flower bloomed, and that flower, when it bloomed, it was curled over, and it looked like the flower was bowing down. And then God said, don't pour this on the flesh. God's desire for the king's oil is that you anoint daily, you soak in this daily, so that you smell good enough to come into the king's presence, because if you, felt, if you smell like flesh, you can't get into his presence. See, if I just cut away the flesh, the flesh is going to come back. I've got to change this. I've got to keep the flesh in, in check. I've got to keep it crucified out of the way, but I've got to change the odor. The chamberlain of the pageant told Esther, hey, if, you, if you'll fall in love with the things of the king, you'll be chosen queen. And guess what? She did. The day came, and she was chosen. And, and, and then the day came where she's sitting at a banquet table, and this is the place where she needs to approach the king with favor. And at this table is Haman. Haman has a smell of flesh at the table. He has a personal agenda. He's not in this for the kingdom. He hates God's people. He hates God's purpose. He's in this for himself, and he has his own personal agenda. So at this table, you have the smell of flesh, but then you have Queen Esther, and she's sitting there with the favor and the aroma of the king. She knows her purpose. She knows her promises. She knows she's confident. She has, she has stepped into her promised land. She was to see God's people set free from the flesh of Haman because, you see, the flesh had to die. Haman was hung. But the promise, the people had to enter into the promise, and they lived, and, and, and they weren't eliminated, but, but they were able to go into the promise. So because one person, Esther, realized this about the king, I will obey the king, I will spend time in preparing to be in his presence so that the favor of obedience touches his heart. See, I want, his I want my obedience to touch his heart. I want to destroy the smell of flesh living, my agenda, what I want. 
My flesh doesn't understand I must decrease so he can increase. My flesh doesn't understand that I bring the tithe, 10% to the storehouse, and then God's going to bless me. See, my flesh doesn't do that, but when, when I don't agree with that and I step back and I'm half-hearted in obedience, I don't produce the aroma that's pleasing to the nostrils of God so that he pours out the favor and the blessings on me. I know you can cut corners and you can circumvent a lot of things in life but you cannot see you you can fool me you can fool people you can do all that you can't fool him he knows everything about you from the inside out he knows if you're totally committed and totally devoted to him he knows if you bow down and call him king he knows if he's king of your life or if you're just wearing the the name tag and you're just going to church and you're going through the motions and maybe you do sing or maybe you do teach or maybe you do preach or maybe you lead a fusion group but you have to understand you can't get to the fullness of what he has because flesh is in the way And I'll be honest with you, we have millions of Christians in our day, but we don't have many Joshuas. We have many who are determined, we, we don't have many who are determined to obey God in every particular situation. We want to pick and choose. We want to carry out the practice through, not many won't have the theme that Joshua had, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. No, we, we want, but, but you see, here's the thing, here's the dangerous part of self. Self's looking out for self. Self will not even, self will so deceive you that you will forfeit your spiritual inheritance. What does that mean? That means that your children are going to miss out on the fullness of life God has because you won't give God your whole heart. I, I, I know it's one of those messages, and I don't know if anybody come at 5 o'clock when they find out we're talking about circumcision, but we We are. We need authentic leaders in the body of Christ who are great submitters under the authority of Christ. They make it their life's ambition to please him, not try to figure out your own agenda. We have a lot of professing believers that can talk a good talk, talk a good game, but we need some who are determined to live out their faith and follow Christ to the promises. And today, people are rationalizing their behavior. Many are playing the church game, but you're rationalizing, oh, we can live this way, we can act this way, we don't have to be married, we don't have to do this, we don't have to tithe, we don't have to do this, and look at us, look at us, oh, 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 look at you, you're in the culture and the society of America, which is the blessed nation in the world, but that has nothing to do with the blessings of God because you're skirting around the issue of giving yourself and giving worship and giving your tithe, that yet you want to go in with the whole crowd and take the whole land, oh no, it won't happen. You, it won't happen. But those of you, listen to me, those of you who think your amount is not a lot, your, your serving's not a whole lot, I'm telling you, God's the ultimate scorekeeper. And I'm telling you this, when you have taken your heart of flesh and cut it apart and he's Lord of your life, he's going to bless you coming in and going out. He's going to bless your seed. He's going to bless your children. He's going to bless your children's children. And that is more important than my flesh being satisfied. He is our king and must own our whole self. So when he commands and we obey, yeah, he calls the shots. So let's quit messing around and saying one thing and living another way. Let's do what he says. Let's obey his orders. Let's defeat the giant of half-hearted obedience. And when we do, we will inherit everything God has for us.
The flesh is a constant battle, right? As we live in it. But when you understand giving your whole self in the presence of a living God, his nature and his character, his maturity starts changing me from the inside out. And then watch, watch what happens. This is, this is the way I think. Because the, the king changes my whole self. When the king, how, how does he change my whole self? Let's go back to those ingredients. Myrrh. When bitterness touches my life, I'll stay sweet. Because I have the nature of Jesus. Cinnamon. I'll be able to stand up and do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. I'll be able to live holy in a crazy world. Calamus. I can be a channel for the Holy Spirit to move through to touch the lives of people. I can actually thrive for the Holy Spirit even though I am a clay vessel. Cassia. I can receive the inner beauty of the king and it doesn't make me proud and boastful. It makes me want to give it back through worship. You see, when that happens, when that change happens from the inside out, God says, oh yeah, they're Joshua's. Let's go. It's time. I've been waiting for this. Let's go. Take the land. Take your inheritance. Take your promise. Let's take it. Now's the time. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Lord, thank you so much for the promises, the covenant, all, all the things that you have given to us. But Lord, to some this may be a hard message to understand or to deal with, but God, our flesh is constantly our battle line. So teach us how to come into your presence. Teach us how to take our whole self and put it in your presence. Teach us how to eliminate the flesh so that we begin to smell like the king and have the favor and the anointing on the king so that we can occupy and advance what you already have planned and positioned for our lives and our children and their children. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen.